Welcome to Conversations with Coley, where we have conversations about subjects we think about but often don't speak about. My name is Nicole Miller, and I'm the author of this book series, A Through Z, Guide to Raising a Good Human, a series I wrote to help in the communication process. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Coley. Today I'm speaking with new author Margot Riley. She penned the book, When the Apple Falls Far from the Tree. Welcome, Margot. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. So I always start with an icebreaker question. So this is the one I made for you. What cartoon character from the past to present represents the inner you? Ooh, represents the inner me. Wow, that is a great question. What cartoon character? For me, I always identified with Pebbles from back in the Flintstone era. <laughs> sure, sure. This is a great question. I really haven't thought about what my cartoon character would be. I'm immediately trying to think of one that showed constant perseverance. So I'm almost thinking of um, the wild coyote. I mean, I'm just uh, the roadrunner rather. I'm thinking just, you know, constantly coming up with new ways to kind of get out of a pickle. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That would be me. <laughs> I love the Roadrunner. Yes. I always was championing for him when I was watching him when I was little. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So tell us about yourself. Well, I am an educator by day, but I, um, as you mentioned, just wrote a book and stepped into my new role as an author. I come from a very long line of trials and tribulations, and I finally concluded that uh, the only reason that all of these things could have possibly happened in my life was so that I could share these stories with other people and maybe help them as well. So all of these chapters and events that have happened over the course of my life have finally been uh, penned into a book or a little capsule, if you will. And I decided to share that with the world in hopes that I can connect with others and maybe help to heal and transform others as well. Yes, thank you for doing that because I feel the same way. I come from a childhood of trauma and generational trauma. And so in order to end the cycle, I think to share the story is like the best. So absolutely. Thank you for doing that. So yeah. talk about your trauma story, if you don't mind. Not at all. So if we go way back to when it all first started, uh, I lived in a house with a lot of domestic violence, like severe domestic violence on a daily basis. And we were not able to get out of the household until later, you know, toward teenage years. So there were a lot of things we were exposed to. And I had two siblings, two siblings who had an entire, entirely different trajectory in life, both of which ended up in jail and or prison. And I always stood out in the situation as somebody who was going to make it out. And in retrospect, when I look back, I always had this inner faith, if you will, this self-loyalty, this connection to my true self. And it was that connection which ultimately got me through those very tough times. You know, people say, how did you do it? And when I look back, it was really just that resiliency, that perseverance. And thank goodness, I held tight to those qualities as I went through my own years of adolescence, because I also had a rocky adolescence yeah. coming from the type of household that I was in. And later in life, I was you know, subjected to some of my own personal conflicts that those tools that were developed from my childhood traumas would um, you know, later serve a purpose for as well. But the main thing was that I had a, a mother wound when I was a child, a mother who could not love. And, you know, when you're a child and you're facing that 
it's very personal. And why, why can't she love me? Why doesn't she choose me? What did I do wrong? And it's very, very difficult to overcome that. And in fact, I didn't until later in life on my healing journey, when I realized that it never was about me in the first place. It was always about her own karma, her own demons, and the things that she had been through that I had no clue about. And that all, of course, lent to the forgiveness that needed to happen, you know, and the evolution that needed to happen. But that um, that childhood was the catalyst for me staying strong in my self-loyalty. I emancipated myself from my parents through the court systems when I was about 13 or 14 years old. Uh-huh. Luckily for me, I did have a wonderful and constant grandmother figure. Or she was my grandmother, not a figure. My grandmother Um, who was able to play a constant role in my life and kind of be there when I was going through these tough times. So I'm very grateful to have had that. At the same time, uh, I really was not happy that my grandmother had to go from a role of being that grandmother to being a parent. Mm -hmm. When I left my home and became emancipated, I went to her house. And that's when I was a crazy wild teenager. And she did her best to wrangle me Keep me under wraps, um, but it changed the dynamic of our relationship ultimately. Um, so there are a lot of details in the book about how that childhood was. But in each uh, chapter that I share of those adversities and those tough times, I was able to come up with a silver lining. And this is kind of the cool part about the book is that when I first decided I was going to write a memoir, I had always known I was going to write a book because I would half jokingly say to people, oh, my goodness, I've got to write a book. I've got to write a book. And when I wasn't saying it, my friends or close family would be like, you really need to write a book. about this. You really do. (laughs) Right. I had never I had never had any sort of personal training as a writer. And I'm not a writer by trade by any means, but it just became time. And I had made the decision that. I was going to sit down and basically extract all these stories from within just as a way to kind of lighten the load and and get it all out of me and into a concrete vessel, a legacy, if you will, and, you know, look at it as part of my healing path. Mm -hmm. What I didn't know was that when I started writing that book about 50 percent in, um, I was reading the chapters back to myself as I was working on some edits. And instead of just having the chapters be like, well, this happened and then this happened and then this happened, I could see that there was a silver lining or like a little tool of hope that kind of came from each episode. And it dawned on me, I had this epiphany that, oh, this is what I'm supposed to share. Because even if the reader didn't necessarily have the same adverse experience, they might find themselves in the lesson. Mm -hmm. or in the tool that was being used. So at that point, the book pivoted. I went back and rewrote the the 10 or so chapters I had already had. I pulled out the gift or the silver lining from each of those episodes. And that's when I realized that my memoir could be a little bit more of a self-help spin as well, if you will. I love it. And I love your book cover. Your book cover and your title are amazing. That drew me right away. And then I started I started reading the beginning and I was like, I have to I have to I have it electronically, but I have to have the physical one, too. (laughs) But I I love that because in trauma, when you are born the way you were and the way I was, I could also see myself not doing this cycle into my adult and, and, and passing it on to my children, I could see myself being the chain breaker. And so, yeah, the, I used to say silver lining this and silver lining that. So I totally get it because when you're exposed to this stuff, unless you physically go through it, how are you supposed to teach others 
to avoid it. Sure, sure. Yeah. Or to identify it even. I yeah. Mean, the, th- the thing is, is, you know, I have conversations with people who can relate like you who say they can relate because they also had childhood trauma. And then there are those who will come to me and say, well, you know, I had a, I had it pretty good. You know, I really didn't have any trauma. But what we don't understand is that trauma comes in so many shapes and sizes yes. and colors. And even having parents who didn't let you speak up at the table or voice your opinion um, you know, are squashed your opinion, those little things become embedded and they become traumas that show up later in life. And so I think understanding that regardless of what type of life we come from, there is something we took from it that ultimately, you know, squashed that inner child in us. And it's really going back and identifying what those things were that help you on your journey to evolve and not repeat the same patterns and cycles, like you said, to be the cycle breaker. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Oh my God. I am so glad that you and I connected to have this conversation. Talk about the effect of that childhood upbringing that changed your ability to live a fulfilled life? Well, first and foremost, uh, that childhood afforded me the love for school. When I went to school, I was in my safe haven. I felt very safe around most of my teachers. And I knew that when I entered that doorway each day that I was in a safe place that immediately planted the seed that I was going to grow up and become a teacher someday. Those teachers who knew what was going on in my home life, but still gave me the ability to have a voice and to be seen and heard at school are the reason that I became an educator myself. And it's crazy because I've been an educator in an elementary school now for 23 years, but now I see myself moving on to possibly working with adults, particularly midlife women or people who are stuck in, you know, maybe victim mentality of how their past has shaped them and helping them to understand there is a way out. Yeah. Yes. So what does living a fulfilled life mean? I believe that a fulfilled life is a life of self-loyalty. And I use the word self-loyalty a lot, and I've had a lot of conversations surrounding it. I think that we live in a world where we are taught to first serve and give to others, that that's the way of the world. And I believe in the opposite philosophy. I believe that we cannot be of true service to other people until we love and take care of ourselves first and foremost. So my self-loyalty is, it's not just self-care like, oh, you know, I get a massage once a month. It's really understanding what your needs are, when you need time to yourself, taking care of your body, getting the right sleep, creating boundaries and staying away from toxic people, whether they're in your family or in your circle of friends, making changes, making career pivots, all of those things where you're constantly checking in with yourself And, you know, you're doing a temperature read on who am I surrounding myself with? What am I putting into my body? There are so many times when I need to do a reality check on my self-loyalty. And living a life fulfilled is when you're leading from that place of being self-loyal, where you're constantly aware and checking in with yourself. Does this line up with my goals and values? Is this the road I really want to be headed down? You know, we see so many people who use the phrases, well, that's just how I am or that's how my family is, or this is what I come from and I can't change it. And I just just wanna shake people when I hear them say that because we do not have to follow suit and we do not have to be made to feel obligated that we are supposed to be serving other people before we take care of ourselves. 
100%. I love that. Yes. Um, people like you and I who come from mothers who maybe couldn't show us love, it's hard for us to understand what loving ourselves mean because you identify the love that you receive from your mother as love. And so it's sure. hard to understand what love is if you don't get it from the person who gave birth to you. So Absolutely. talk about Talk about how you were able to navigate through your trauma and find a place of, hey, I need to love myself first. Some people don't recognize that. So what did you, what was your experience in trying? I would say that I have to coin it back to self-talk because when you have, like you said, your mother is often your very first role model for what a loving relationship is supposed to look like. So when that is null and void, how do you identify? And obviously, as an onlooker to my other cousins, my other friends, and seeing the dynamics they had with their relationships, even seeing how my teachers or my next door neighbors nurtured me was what modeled and showed me what it is supposed to look like. And I think it was the more that she showed me what it wasn't supposed to look like that I said and took note in my you know, self-talk, like, okay, I'm not going to do that. Okay, I am never going to speak to a child that way. Okay, she's not sharing with me what she's thinking. I don't like this feeling of silence. We need to talk this out. And so it was all those non-examples that my mother provided that ultimately showed me what I needed to do instead. And it was like I was taking these little mental notes as I was a child evolving into adolescence and then adulthood, it was like all these little mental notes of non-examples that helped me to create the life that I wanted and the person that I wanted to be, if that makes sense. 100%, I call my mother um, my walking what not to do manual. Ooh, that's, that I like it, I, I yeah, like it. Yeah, that's how I, because people go, how, do you, how did you raise your kids so normally when you didn't have a normal childhood? Well, I had a what not to do manual. <laughs> I absolutely did. I absolutely did as well. And I love that. I love that. That is exactly what I used to raise my children as well. Exactly. See, I love this. So when we live in trauma, we live in our born into toxicity. What does one who seeks healing do to eliminate the toxic sludge that comes from living in trauma? Sometimes people can't get that off of them. So, oh, don't I know? <laughs> well, and, and, and trust me when I say I wasn't always uh, at the top of my game. I had many, many pitfalls. So we can put those in right here. First of all, uh, I battled my whole life with food addiction and with alcohol addiction. So there were times when I absolutely was not strong. Um, I talk in my book about my weight loss journey. I had weight loss surgery not once, but twice. And it came along with a food addiction. Um, you know, I was a very emotional eater. I also had a mother who couldn't love, but she could cook and bake very well. And that was her way of expressing love. When she cooked or baked for us, that's how we connected with her. That's how we did get love from her. So anytime she was willing to feed me and offer me food, I overindulged in it because it was the only connection essentially that I had with her. So right away, I, I antiquated food with receiving love from my mother and I became a food addict. I still self-soothe with food and still have to consciously work on that. I also came from a very, very long lineage of alcoholics. Both my mother and my father were raging alcoholics when I was younger. 
as I grew up and got married and became an adult myself, I absolutely was guilty of partaking in drinking. I come from a town where it's there's a little bar in every corner and it's just something you do. And I have friends and family who still very much partake in it. And there got to be a point about three years ago where my daughters were just now young adults. One was still a teenager. One was moving into her 20s. And we had had a party at our house and they videotaped some footage of all of us singing karaoke. And when they played the video back for me, I just, I saw my mother. And it was so alarming. Up until this point, I had convinced myself that I didn't have a problem because the alcoholics in my family, uh, they normally were violent or crying or fighting when they were drinking. And I was not that type of drinker. I was the good time girl. I was the one singing karaoke till two o'clock in the morning and right. the last one to come in the house and the one making everybody laugh. So I did not see my drinking as a problem. But that day when I watched that video, and it wasn't the first time they had showed me a good time video, but that particular day, just over three years ago, when they showed me that, I saw my mother and I said, I have got to be a better role model for my children. I've got to show them that alcohol does not need to be a part of your life in order to have a good time and connect and have a party. And I decided on that day that I was done drinking. I bought into a 90-day online sobriety program, and it was a measly $200. It was the best $200 I have ever invested on myself. I have not had a single drink since that day. And I have done an excellent job, I think, of showing them that I'm still an outgoing, bubbly, good time gal without the need for alcohol. And I don't have to worry about going down the trajectory of the alcoholism because my mother and her sister both drank themselves to death with liver cirrhosis in their 60s. Yeah. And so it was a real scary threat in my life and it was something that needed to happen. And I thank that sobriety journey because it is absolutely 100% the reason I finally was able to sit down with my emotions and pen the memoir and get it all out. It was the catalyst. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, because when you go through trauma, you have to, just like everyone else, we have to cope in some way. And sometimes we gravitate towards things, but we view it differently because like you said, your family members, my family members too, crying, fighting, knocking over Christmas trees, making an ass of themselves. I'm always like you, woohoo, let's have fun and party all night. And that's the healthy yeah. alcohol. Right, now, right. But if you're doing it too much and it's bad for your health, then it is not a good thing. But we all have to deal in some way, shape, or form. And I think that when someone is struggling, they think, oh, I'm struggling. That's it. I have to sit here. They don't realize that all they have to do is take those steps, sign up for a program that, yeah, it's $200, but best $200 you ever spent. Absolutely. And it's different for everyone. Um, I'm happy to say my father, who I am estranged from currently, but he, he is 30 years sober. And my older brother, who had a rocky young adulthood, has totally turned his life around. And he's been sober for 18 years now, I think. Yeah. And, you know, for one of them, it was AA. For one of them, it was cold turkey. For me, it was online support yep. with some other women who were going through it. Um, it's just Again, that awareness of saying, okay, I've identified a problem. Now, what am I going to do to take the step in the right direction versus sitting here and letting this escalate? 100%. 100%. So, in your book, you talk about living in a world of fucked upness. Let's talk about that. 
Because I identified hard to that. I was like, yes, yes I'm, I felt the same way. So let's talk about what that means and what that feels like. Well, first and foremost, I, I opened the book with that. And I, I like that it impacted you because I think we can all identify. As I said, even those of us who didn't think there was anything wrong with our family, if you peel back the layers, we all have some fucked upness. Let's face it. Some of us, some of us a little bit more than others, but we do. And I believe that being able to speak it is exactly what helps us to heal it. It is when we have the shame around, oh, I can't tell anybody about this. This is a total secret. You know, I believe in all of those quotes, like, you know, what you resist persists. And if we don't heal it now, it's coming back to us again later. It is a vicious cycle. And I think first and foremost, we have to understand, and believe me when I say I believe in this wholeheartedly, life is never, ever going to be idle. There is always going to be a wrench thrown at you. It's what you do with that that, you know, is ultimately going to decide everything. Now, did I want 50 wrenches? No, right. I didn't want 50 wrenches, but that's what happened. And it was just a matter of saying, okay, this is one more thing. As a matter of fact, when I first started writing my memoir, I was working with a coach who said, I want you to just pick up a pencil and jot a picture of what you see your book to be. And I sketched a picture of, you know, a little stick figure myself. And I put all of these mountains all around me, 360 degrees. And then there was like my childhood over here and there was adolescence over here. And when I did that, I almost realized in that exact moment, well, holy shit, these mountains are always going to be here. They're not going anywhere. Right. I did not get to the other side of them. I'm still in the thick of them and I'm always going to be in the thick of it. And I think, you know, I don't wish hurt and healing upon anybody but unfortunately it is the process of evolution and rising to the next level of yourself mm -hmm. and so and so it is mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it hurts to go through it and reliving it you gotta cr ugly cry it out and do all the things that you need to do but when you get on the other side of it it feels so much better you're not carrying around That's that baggage it. of the past you know, yes. a lot of people, a lot of people will bring the past up or they identify someone in a moment in time that they knew them. So I travel a lot and somebody may have known me in one of my worst moments, but that's the, that's the, that's where they hold me. They don't think 20 years later that I have changed. Do you find that in, in, in your friendships and in your social circles that people hold you kind of where you used to be or came Absolutely. from? And especially for me, I actually work and live in the hometown where I was raised, where all of my trauma occurred. I mean, there are police officers who were at my house as a child who still are retired and living in this town. I mean, there that's it's very hard to get rid of your past. And I'm mm -hmm. I am, you know, I'm only human, like my mother, like my father. I have made mistakes myself. However, I have no regrets because lessons came from those mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so just like you said, I don't, they may, they may identify me with a past mistake or a, a past phase of life that I was in, but I've evolved from there. I've grown and learned from there. And so I do not hold myself to that. I've worked on forgiveness to others, but I've also worked on forgiveness to myself and understanding that unfortunately these lessons are a part of who we are for yeah. sure. 100%. Do you feel you equipped your children with the tools to break the cycles of the generational abuse that you had gone through? 
I do. And I feel like it definitely still continues. I'll tell you a, a great example. Uh, so when I was growing up in that childhood trauma, one of the things that I was taught was not to feel or not to have feelings. So I would get hurt and they would say, oh, stop it. You're fine. Suck it up. Knock it <laughs> off. You're just fine. Well, I really did not realize until I had conversations later in life with my daughters that I I put that tough love back onto them. They would get hurt. And instead of holding them and understanding that their emotions were part of their internal compass and they needed to express themselves, I would be like, you're fine. Come on, get up, you know. And I would do the same thing as a teacher when a child fell down and got hurt. I wasn't trying to be mean, but I was just trying to de-escalate the situation. Oh, you're fine. Come here. Come here. You got yep. that. When I realized later doing self you know, personal development work that that was a trait I took from my mother and one I did not appreciate and one that my children also did not appreciate. Oh, wow. But now that I'm self-aware of it and now that I've had an adult conversation with my children about it, I've made them more aware of, OK, moving forward from this point on, this is something we need to work on. And we don't want to see you repeat this with your babies or I don't want to do it with my grandchildren when I finally become a grandmother. So again, it comes back to that self-awareness. Yes, I definitely raised these girls with a better life. Their father and I are still together. We've had a very harmonious household, you know, with your usual ups and downs. We're right. not perfect. We're only human, but they've had a pretty great, pretty good upbringing and they've seen pretty normal parents who love each other and still do. However, there are definitely patterns and, you know, characteristics from generations that I am consciously working on breaking. And I have lots of conversations with them about the blatantly about we're working to break this. We don't want this mm -hmm. to stick around. And so I love that maybe my, you know, awakening to all of this didn't happen until they were, you know, growing up a little bit older, but it's never too late to identify it and get to work on it. Absolutely. And a lot of people don't want to talk about the things that they've made mistakes in parenting. Like I've told my kids when they were little, if you feel that I'm getting on to you and I'm wrong, tell me, tell me why and let me think on it. And I'm a, I'm an adult, but that doesn't mean I'm perfect. And my kids have done that. If I've gotten onto them and they're like, mom, hold on. And they told me their side and I have sit and think, hmm, you're right. And we have that whole exchange. It teaches your kids that, oh, I can make mistakes, but we're living in a in a society right now that somebody has to put the blame onto someone else. Hmm. Can, can sure you, are. Yes. Can you talk about how someone can identify that, hey, I have to push blame on someone and how to feel okay in having those conversations with your adult kids about mistakes or your parents about mistakes that you felt were made to you and having a healthy conversation? Sure. I think it starts with us. Like I said, I, I mean, just like you, I, I teetered on that line of, you know, with my children and social media, I have some friends who stalk the hell out of their children <laughs> are in, are all in their business. And, um, I took a different approach. Like I kept an eye on them, but I also wanted them to feel comfortable and, you know, and again, we had different, my friends and I had different opinions on the matter, but I just, I think you have to become aware, not smothering, and start with yourself, you know, putting yourself in the situation of how would I feel? And it is hard. It's very hard to start those conversations, but you start them with yourself. And it was when I became self-aware 
and asking myself the questions that I could then take it to my husband or take it to my daughters and say, listen, let's talk about this. I noticed that I'm doing this. And how do you feel about it? And is it uncomfortable? Yes. Like you said, of course, it's uncomfortable. Nobody wants to be called on their shit. But we all, <laughs> we, I mean, we, we all do it, right? So I think, you know, you don't want to cross that line of, oh, I'm your buddy, just tell me and I'll knock it off. You still want to be the parent figure. I've I've always wanted to be the parent figure. You know, my mother being the crazy party woman that she was, she wanted to be the party friend and do the same things we were doing. And I would be like, oh my God, get out of here. Um, and so, so again, it really, it, it has to do with what context you have. You know, I had a different context. And so, it really just is the matter of being able to be bold enough to confront those things and have a conversation. And really, that's just the first step. Start with yourself. Start with your spouse or your significant other. Start asking your children questions. Keep an open dialogue. Be willing to take that feedback, like you said. I mean, no, my kids are not going to tell me. You can't you know, know anything about me. But we right. could negotiate. We could certainly negotiate on which parts I would be monitoring and which parts could be their own. Right. 100%. I think if kids can see us saying, hey, I was wrong, that will make it easier for them because they see what we do. And if we're, oh, no, it has to be someone's fault. They're going to do that same thing in their relationships and it's just going to keep on the cycles. Absolutely. Can yeah. you imagine if we saw our parents do that? It never happens. Not even this much. No. So exactly. <laughs> the, the fact that we're being vulnerable enough, you know, when I, even when I went to my daughters and said, I'm going to quit drinking because I want to prove to you girls, you know, like, I'm sure they were kind of like, well, wait a minute, you know, what, what is she, I mean, I'm sure they were like, we didn't think it was a problem. We didn't right. really, you know, we thought it was funny, but um, when it gets to be too much and you can say, no, it's time to, you know, call myself on my shit, as we said a minute ago and say, it's time for change. It's time to be a better role model, but have that open uh, communication. So important. It's just so important. 100%, 100%. A little bit more about your book and what is in there. What can people expect to see in there? Okay. Well, my book itself is a memoir, as I said. So you're going to see the four stages of my life. Basically, it starts off with my early childhood and some very traumatic things, all the way down to my father breaking my leg as a three-year-old, which is my earliest childhood memory me living through my mother being brutally beaten through years, um, to emancipating myself and leaving the home, to a cancer journey wow. and cancer, cancer survivalship, weight loss journey, and into the spiritual awakening, basically, that just came about uh, from my sobriety journey. Now, like I said, within that, I began extracting the tools and the things like relying on others, having that close confidant, um, you know, independence and understanding that you are the one in charge, that what is happening outside is external and that is how you are reacting and taking it all in internally. So I feel like anybody who reads the book and goes through the stages of my memoir can see those silver linings and those tools of resiliency and, and self-reliance and independence. And they can kind of mirror that back onto themselves and how they might get through some things. And like I said, most people, they have kind of a harrowing story throughout their life. Everybody has a story, yeah. but I actually have experience with 
child abuse and domestic violence and weight loss and a rare cancer diagnosis. And, you know, truly, I believe that all of those things that happened to me throughout early childhood are what ultimately gave me that toughness and that grit to get through a rare cancer diagnosis. Had I not had the foundation that I had, I might have gone down a rabbit hole that I, you know, didn't want to do. But because I knew, hey, I've already been through a ton of stuff. And I've survived 100% of the stuff that has been laid out before me. This is no different. Let's go. It's go time. Yes. Oh, my God. That's awesome. So your book is not just for trauma survivors. It's for everyone who's living. It really. Yeah. Anyone who lives in in this society, in this world right now. Are you, do you offer a program? Are you working on creating any programs? I just finished up a six month life coaching course. So I will eventually be offering some programs. And again, my goal is probably going to be to niche in on middle-aged women looking to maybe heal some things from their past, you know, not necessarily just mother wound, but um, anything that's holding them back, any type of limiting belief and, you know, helping people to understand that regardless of what life hands you, we can always take a step forward and move beyond that point. Um, so yes, I'm, I do not have any courses yet. To be honest with you, I'm actually knee deep in my second memoir. Oh, That is because just as I published When the Apple Falls Far From the Tree and it hit the world, my older brother and I took an ancestry test, which blew everything out of the water Ooh. and made me made me understand my life completely up until this point. And so now I'm working on my second memoir, which is going to be called When You Shake the Family Tree. Oh, my goodness. I'm excited. I just got goosebumps. Thank you. Thank you. So I feel like when that project of my next book culminates, probably toward the end of 2023, that's when I will really jump in and dive in and start designing my course or my coaching and what it's going to look like to help others propel forward because who knew it I still have another hurdle and chapter that I'm in the midst of going through right now and it's really really uh, fun and exciting and crazy all at the same time and I'm trying to write it and capture all of it as it's literally unfolding so I love that I'm so excited I'm getting that book too when it comes out so for people (laughs) who want to follow you where can they follow you Sure. I have a website, which is called uh, www.justbeingjill.com, just like it sounds, Just Being Jill. My uh, real name is Jill Krizanovich. I go under the pen name Margot Riley. But if you go to justbeingjill.com, you can see all the information about my book. And if you sign up for uh, my monthly newsletter, you can even get the first chapter. I also have some blogs on there, which are just daily inspirational life blogs. There's a link there um, that says coming soon. I'm hoping to do my own podcast in the near future, which is going to be called the Live Out Loudcast, where I hope to talk to lots of people who have overcome adversity and, and you know, help inspiring people to get to the other side. So that, so that website is pretty much got, has a little bit of everything about me there. And that's where when my future stuff does come about, everything will be on that website. Wonderful. Well, I'm definitely following that. I can't wait to hear your podcast either, because I think that it's very important for us to talk about the things we've been through, the things we've learned, and to teach our future generations to break that generational cycle. You're not stuck in it. Just because you were born yeah. in it, you're not stuck in it. Do you have any thoughts that you want to share with listeners 
to kind of impact them, to encourage them to get out of their situations? I do. I, I would just leave your listeners with taking the plunge to do some personal development, to go deep within and start extracting maybe some of those old childhood wounds. You know, not everybody is at a place where they want to go back and dig, but I will promise anybody who does go back and do the work that once you identify it and you deal with it and you release it, you're like a totally different person. And so I say, do not be afraid of self, you know, loyalty and self personal development. It is the way forward. Evolution is what we are here for. We are not meant to be stagnant. We are not meant to settle. We are meant to evolve and continually grow. And that is the ticket to fulfillment. Yeah, 100%. And also, we're not meant to just work nine to five and go to sleep and do it over and over again. We're not robots. We are meant to How live- boring. Yes. <laughs> we're meant to live an adventurous life and be happy and, you know, touch people. So I I hope that our listeners today and today's episode take what you have shared and take some inspiration, buy your book and make those positive changes. Thank you so much for sharing today. Thank you for asking me and talking to me about the book. Yes. I appreciate it. And I hope it will inspire some of your listeners. Thank you. Same. Same. If you like this and other episodes, please click subscribe, like, and share so others can enjoy them too. Thank you so much for listening.